Good morning. Man, so good to be um, with all of you here um, in the house of the Lord this morning. God is doing some unbelievable things. And what an amazing thing for us to get together and just acknowledge his greatness, acknowledge his um, goodness together. But more on that um, a little bit later on here in our time Together Again, if you are a guest with us, uh, I want to say uh, a special welcome. Um, as Matt mentioned earlier, we are so thrilled that you chose to come and spend some of your day um, here with us. And our deepest desire is that you would leave here maybe freshly impressed, possibly for the first time impressed with the person of Jesus Christ. So glad that you're here with us. You found this literally in the middle of a journey through the 10th book of the New Testament, the book of Ephesians. It's six chapters long, and today we end the third chapter. And just as a quick heads up, by the way, next week we're going to have a praise fest. I mean, it's Thanksgiving weekend, and uh, so we're going to get together, and we are just going to lean in and talk about the beauty and the power of praise, and then we're going to take some time to praise uh, together. It's going to be crazy. There might even be a little role swapping happening um, up here. I'm going to try and lead music. Tyler's going to share from the Word of God, and so it's going to be nuts. Don't miss it. Make sure uh, that you're here. The week after that, we're going to launch um, a Christmas series, a bigger and better Christmas, encounters with Jesus Christ that forever changed folks' lives. And so you're going to hear more about that great time to invite people um, to come with you. And then in 2016, we're going to resume our journey through uh, the book of Ephesians. Um, But today we want to wrap up um, with Ephesians chapter 3. And by the way, if you're just joining us, uh, the book of Ephesians is actually a letter penned by a man uh, named Paul. And in this letter, what Paul is doing is he's attempting to convince the church that, hey, what matters the most is what God sees when he looks at you. What God says when he speaks of you. And what God supplies when he calls you to himself. What matters most is what God sees when he looks at you, says when he speaks about you. And what he supplies when he calls you to himself. Why? Because Paul knows that what you believe to be most true about you affects what you most do with you. What you believe to be most true affects your disposition, your decisions, your direction, and ultimately your destination in life. In other words, what Paul knows is your behavior will always follow your beliefs. Always. And so therefore, if what your heart hangs onto the most is a lie that your parents spoke to you, that you never amount to anything, or that your value and beauty is somehow tied up to your weight, 
If what you believe most and hang on to is the lie of the culture that the more stuff you have, the happier you have, then what that's going to lead to is this place of inadequacy and constant comparison and constant striving, which is no way to live. And what Paul is laboring to communicate to the church is, listen, if you're going to live out of anything, if any belief is going to inform your behavior, let it be what God sees when he looks at you, what he says when he speaks of you and what he supplied when he called you to himself. And so Paul spends the first three chapters of this book, the first half of the letter, just serving these massive portions of God's truth to our souls because he so longs for the church to believe what God sees, and to start to view themselves from God's vantage point. Um, And so when Paul gets to the end of um, chapter 3, which is where we are now, um, he, he shares in a prayer what I believe to be the pinnacle of what he wants the church to believe about what God sees, says, and supplies for us. And so if you have a copy of the scripture, please turn um, to Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to start reading um, the second half of verse 17. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. I think this is what Paul has been moving towards. This is the, the culmination and the summary of what he hopes the church will get a hold of and live out of. And so we're going to relook at some of the things we saw uh, last week as we ramp towards the close of this chapter. And here's what he says. Um, and by the way, if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, verses will be up here. We have some Bibles in the back. If you don't have one, please go grab one. If you don't own a copy, keep it, take it. We'll be so thrilled um, for you to get the word of God in your hands and heart. Ephesians three seventeen, the second portion of that verse. It says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp this, how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. Paul is praying this pinnacle prayer. He's praying his deepest desire and dream for the church. And you know what I find so interesting about his prayer for the church is that what Paul dreams and desires for the church is exactly what we dream and desire for ourselves. More importantly, what God dreams and desires for the church is the same thing that we dream and desire for ourselves. And it's in this simple word, fullness. Fullness. It shows up in verse number 19. We want our souls to 
overflow with satisfaction. We want our souls to get to this place where they say, I can't take any more fulfillment. Fullness. That's what Paul wants for the church. That's what God wants for his church. And it's crazy. That's what we want for the church. Again, that's what it means in verse 19. Did you see that? Paul's desire is not that we would just be full. Paul's desire is actually that we will be filled with the very fullness of God himself. That's awesome, fullness. Uh, it's been a couple of years now, uh, but my friends and I, a number of guys, um, we had the habit of maybe once or so a year taking a trip um, to the city of Chicago. And there, uh, we would go to a Brazilian steakhouse called Fogo de Chao. If you don't know what that is, I'll pray for you. You might get some revelation about that. This place is a gorge fest, right? There is every conceivable cut of meat and steak, and it's just brought on skewers one after the other, after the other, after the other. You have a little round circle thingy on your table, and when it's green, they just keep piling meat on your plate. And if you need a break, you turn it red, and they stop for a little bit, which I don't know why you would ever do that. And then you turn it back to green, and they keep bringing the meat of the highest quality. Anyway, the last time we went... Um, we got to Chicago, we had reservations, we got there about an hour early. Someone forgot about the time change. And if you know anything about the Chicago cold, then you know we couldn't just stand outside waiting for our reservation time to come up. And so we went into McDonald's across the street just to wait. Now you've got to understand this. Part of the brilliant wisdom, if you're going to go to Fogo de Child right, is you've got to go on an empty slash miserable stomach. And so we were holding out. You'd take a day off of eating so that you can go and make the most of this steak from, from heaven. And so we decided to kill an hour. We would go into this McDonald's. I am telling you right now, the aroma of the Big Mac has never captured me as greatly as it did on that particular day, at one point or another, every single one of us guys said, yeah, oh, man, should we just cancel our reservation and just Mickey it out? Don't worry, don't worry. Cooler minds prevailed, and we held tight, we held strong, and then we went to Fogo de Chao, and the Gorge Fest was so on. Now, I'm not suggesting that we couldn't have gotten full on McDonald's. I'm just suggesting it would have been a different quality of fullness than what we experienced at Heaven's Steakhouse, courtesy of our Brazilian friends. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, I'm not saying you can't get full up on all kinds of stuff that people in this world can give you or things and stuff in this world can give you. I'm not saying you can't get filled up. But what I am saying is it nowhere near matches the caliber and quality of fullness when what's filling you is God himself. There is no regret feeling about that the next morning. This doesn't run dry. This is the fullness that we were created for. It is what our souls actually hunger for. And Paul is saying, my dream and desire for you is that you get to this place where you are full. In fact, you are overflowing with God's stuff. God himself. 
Can you imagine being full on anything more beautiful, glorious than God himself? And so as he wraps chapter 3, he starts to tell us how. Because you want that. I want that. Paul wants that. God wants that. So the only other question is, how do we get that? How do we make reservations to that God restaurant for our souls? And that's what he explains. And we started to look at some of this last week. And we want to revisit it again. And wouldn't you know it? It starts with something we believe to be true. It's not something we strive for. It's not something we labor to to apprehend. It starts with something we believe to be true. I long for the church to experience God octane, God caliber fullness. But I realize that only happens when each of us starts to believe and experience a truth that we saw last week. And I, I love Paul. Um, he is so simple in what he suggests. In fact, the truth that we believe that begins to move us towards fullness is simply this. That Jesus loves me immeasurably and unconditionally. Jesus loves me immeasurably and unconditionally. I'll tell you what a trip this is. This is so hard for me. Because I got really sophisticated as I got a little older. And so I wanted these really deep, profound, mysterious truths that take an immense amount of seminarian decoding to get to these mysterious truths that would unlock the portals of God's fullness coming upon us. And it's like, no, you learned it as a kid. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. If you begin to believe that, you begin to move towards fullness. Look at what Paul says, Ephesians uh, 3.17 again. He says in the second part, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp, which is just another word for to believe, How wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ? Verse 19, and to know. That word is a word for experience. That you would know the love that surpasses knowledge. Why? So that you may be filled to the fullness. To the measure of all the fullness of God. And he uses these beautiful uh, descriptions of God's love. He talks about its width and its, its length and its height and its depth. He's just saying there is no ceiling to the love with which Christ has loved you. There's no floor beneath it. There are no borders or boundaries. There's no extent to which it reaches. In other words, it's immeasurable. His love for you. And he says, you're rooted and established in this flawless, ceilingless love. I don't even know how you get rooted in flawlessness, except in, in God's economy. But being rooted and established just means, and you can never be shaken from this immeasurable love, meaning it's unconditional. 
And my prayer is that the church, according to Paul, would grasp slash believe and know slash experience this flawless, ceilingless, boundless love out of which they can never, ever be shaken. Living fully, being filled with the fullness of God starts with believing and experiencing that Jesus loves me immeasurably and unconditionally. Uh, now, just to be clear, let's, let's review what we um, defined last week, um, because we can often use the term love, but not be entirely clear on what we mean by that. But here, when we speak about Christ's love, we're speaking about the fact that Jesus fully knows me, Jesus fully accepts me, and Jesus is fully for my good. That's amazing. You never hear better truth than that. Jesus fully knows me, he fully accepts me, and he is fully for my good. Let's talk about that for uh, a couple of moments. Jesus fully knows me. I don't know about you, but that's amazing because I can't even begin to tell you how much I long to be fully known. How much I long to be known without mask, without pretense, without shame. How much I long to be known for just me, my weaknesses, my wounds, my inner wars, I long to be known. But I live with this terror that no one really wants to know me. And if they did fully know me, what would they do with me? Right? And so I worry that the people whose um, acceptance and opinions matter the most to me might find out that one thing about me and then reject me. I mean, if my parents knew me and, and what I do to my body, I mean, if my spouse knew me and honestly how bored and bitter I am in this marriage, if my church knew how much I was struggling to believe that he's a good, good father, it's who he is, it's who he is after what I think he's done this last year, if they knew me, Maybe it's just me. Some of you worry. I mean, if my boyfriend knew me without mascara and foundation, I don't know. And we worry that there's a ding or a dent on us, a scar or struggle, a flaw or failure, some imperfection or impulse that if people knew, they would leave or at least they would love us. A little less if people really knew us. And so we become emotionally schizophrenic, don't we? I want to be known, but ooh, but what if you? I want to be known, but I, I want to hide this. I want to be known, but I have fig leaves covering the most vulnerable. But I want to be known, but I'm scared. I want, but I'm scared. And we live in this constant turmoil and tension, which is what makes it so Beautiful when Paul says Christ already and completely 
knows us. Things you don't even know about yourself to hide. Things you are convinced you will never do that he knows you are going to do. He fully knows you. And we've seen that, right? In chapter 2 of Ephesians, we saw that we were dead in our sins. Paul tells us that all of us lived giving into sin when Jesus came after us, which means he knew full well who we were when he came for us. There was no surprises. He knew us. He knows us fully. Jesus fully knows me. And here's the life-giving thing. He accepts me. Jesus fully knows me and it's crazy, but he wants me still. That's amazing because I really, really want to be wanted just as I am. Broken and prone to making messes. Flaws and failures. I want someone to see my blotches and to see my botches and want me still. That is a deep longing of my Hard. And Paul says that's exactly what Jesus does. Unlike your spouse who withdraws when you do something they don't like, Jesus always wants. Not because he doesn't know. Unlike your parents whose silent disappointment is almost palpable whenever you don't perform up to par and live up to the family name and bring pride to Jesus wants, regardless of what we do or don't do. Unlike those, you know, kids at school who exclude you uh, when they find out that you actually have standards and you're not willing to do some of the dumb stuff that they're trying to drag you into, Jesus always wants you to sit at his table. Jesus fully knows me. And he says, I want you still. And we've seen that. Remember Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. It says that God chose us before the foundation of the world. God wanted us so much, he pre-chose us. He pre-ordered us like an Adele album. He really, really wanted us. This is such an awesome, awesome truth. He wanted us before we were even here, which means it could not possibly be based on something he knew about us. Good. And then it says he not only chose us, but then he adopted us into his family even when we had rebelled against him. So clearly he doesn't want us based on something wrong we didn't do. He wants us because he wants to unconditionally accept us. There's nothing he'll ever find out about you that will make him want you less. Nothing. And Paul is saying, when you begin to believe that, Jesus fully knows me. Jesus fully accepts me. And Jesus is fully for my good. That's awesome. I mean, because don't you long for someone who wants your best? And someone who would actually do anything to see you thrive. Someone who's not threatened by your success. Because boy, we're threatened by each other. I mean, she gets more Instagram likes than you. Right? She shows up and her outfit's on point. 
You know, his shoes are on fleek. Can guy stuff be on fleek? I don't know. No. And all of a sudden we're threatened by someone's success. I want someone who's not threatened by my success, but actually cheers for it and is willing to do whatever to see me thrive, to see me soar. And Paul is saying that's what Jesus does. And we've seen that. Remember Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 tells us that he's filled uh, our spiritual bank account with every, remember this word, every supply for our souls. He's so committed to our good and our thriving that he's given us everything we need to see us thrive. And we saw in Ephesians 1.13 that he's given us, remember this, his spirit to get us home. To make sure we get to the paradise he's preparing for us. How for our good do you suppose Jesus is? We saw in Ephesians 1.19 that he's given us his strength. He's given us his power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. To ensure that we are able to overcome any obstacle that keeps us from fullness in living life. Fully, But we know that he's fully for our good, most of all from, remember Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. In fact, let's put it up here. It says, in him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Jesus is so fully for our good that he was willing to give himself as a sacrifice to buy us back from slavery and set us on a course towards freedom and towards thriving. How much does someone have to be after your good to be willing to lay down their life to see you, live to see you thrive? If you are a Christ follower, Jesus loves you immeasurably and unconditionally. There's nothing about you he doesn't know. You can Keep fronting and hiding and pretending and faking. But there's nothing about you he doesn't already know. And there's nothing in him that could want you more. There's nothing in you that could ever make him want you any less. There's nothing he has that he's not willing to give you, including his own life, to see you thrive, to see you succeed. Because Jesus loves us immeasurably and without Condition. And so Paul's prayer in, in verse 19 of Ephesians 3 is suggesting this. That when we begin to believe that we are fully loved, we begin to fully live. When we begin to believe we're fully loved, we begin to fully live. If there's any shortage of fully living in you, it goes back to something you believe to be true about you. The minute you start to believe, could it be true that he really loves me beyond the songs, beyond the words we use? He knows me and he wants me and he'll do anything including give his life for my good. Paul says you start to fully live. And that makes sense even from a logical standpoint. I mean, it's, it's just amazing to think this through. 
It affects my relationships with the people around me. It affects my relationship with God. It begins to affect my relationship with the world in which I live. Paul is saying, you want to live fully, start to believe this. And it does. It makes sense. My relationships with people, for one, here are a number of ways. My relationships with people become more about delight than they do about dependence. When I believe that Jesus has accepted me and Jesus wants me, all of a sudden, I don't need you to validate or define me. I am not made or broken by your acceptance or your rejection or your opinion. Now, don't get me wrong. I want you to want me and I want you to accept me. But my life is not made or broken on the basis of what you say or don't say to me, what you do or don't do, because I'm fully accepted. Which means I can now bring delight to my relationships versus dependence. Hey, can you validate me? Can you make me feel a little bit better about myself? Hey, could you please make me feel? I mean, imagine what our marriages would be like if I wasn't clawing and looking for every compliment and being undone by every criticism. My relationships become fuller. I begin to enjoy them more, and frankly, the people around me start to enjoy me a little bit more as well. When I begin to believe I'm fully loved, I can come to you full, not trying to get you to fill me. It will change my relationships entirely. And my wife, for one, would be thankful. I'm, I'm sure of it. Sure of it. But it also deeply affects my relationship with God. If I believe Jesus wants me, I start to come to him with more audacity and less apprehension. I mean, if he really wants me, um, he really accepts me. How much more often do you suppose I will go and spend time with him? And how much more often would I do it? I would bust into his presence on a much more regular basis. It is amazing how many times in a given day I have to tell my daughter not to interrupt. She is a chronic interrupter. I don't understand it, except I do understand it. That girl is convinced my daddy loves me. Mm-hmm. He wants me. Uh-huh. He's happy to see me. So therefore, I have every reason and right to just bust up into any of his conversation and interrupt. Excuse me, I'm going to let you finish in a minute. And then she'll just start talking to me. I'd have to tell my daughter, listen, I'm not like God. You're actually a nuisance to me sometimes. We're not the same. Imagine what kind of kids we would be if we believed he wants to see us. 
It'll reduce the amount of times I say, well, I would come, but I know you're busy with that crisis in the world. So, all right, I'll come back later. I'll just, I'll tough it out this time and I'll, I'll deal with it myself and I'll, I'll hold out for now, but I'll come later. It'll reduce the amount of times I say, you must still be mad about the way I messed up two days ago. So I'm going to just stand on the fringes. I'll bust up into his heavenly conversation and say, it's me. I'm so glad you came. Do you have any idea how much I wanted to see you today? And then when I start to frequent the presence of God, what starts to happen? I start to become like the one with whom I spent time. And I start to take on the characteristics of fullness himself. I become more and more filled with the one I spend more and more time with because I believe he wants to see me. And so I often go to see him and I become like him and I become full. Full of peace. Not just peace. God caliber. Peace. That's different. That gives me the ability to stare drama in the face. Even if the world is coming apart at the seams. And say my God has overcome the world. In fact he's sitting above the world right now. God caliber purpose. I'm not making headlines. I'm not making millions. But my life is making a mark. And it's making a difference in eternity. I become full of joy. Even in the midst of difficult things around me. Filled to the fullness of God. As I spend more and more time with him. But I'll never do that unless I'm convinced. He loves me. He wants me. And he wants to see me. Audacity will trump apprehension. When I believe I'm loved, I rest in him, I rush towards him, I become filled with all he is. It's so unbelievable a thought. Paul knows uh, the church is going to hear this and they're going to say, no way, that's not even a real thing. Being full of God, Filled with the fullness. That's not even a real thing. Hey, good, good, good words though. I mean, I appreciate how you connected that thought to that thought. I even agree with that verse and that scripture you use. And I agree with you cerebrally, but I don't actually believe this experientially. And Paul says, I knew you might feel that way. And so he says in verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Fullness is not just an idea. It's a thing that is possible because God is able to do immeasurably more than anything we could even think to ask him or imagine. This is almost a dare from Paul. So ask him. Ask him to convince you that his son loves you immeasurably and unconditionally. Ask him. He can do that. You can walk out of here and just say good source. Or you can ask the God who can do immeasurably more to do immeasurably more. Ask him. Ask him to fill you with his fullness. Ask him to stir in you a confidence to move constantly into his presence. He can do immeasurably more. I have no idea why we insist on living immeasurably less when fullness is ours if we would only believe and if we can't at least ask him to help us believe. And then there's something else I think that begins to happen. As a church 
becomes full in the presence of God. It will always overflow with generosity to the world around it. Always. When I believe God is my source and God is my supply, all of a sudden I'm not conservative. I'm not hoarding. I'm not like, if I give my stuff up, then I lose it. God is my supplier. He's my source. It will immediately begin to turn me into a generous person with a people in need around me. And here's the crazy thing in the kingdom of God. The more I give, the more I'm filled. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I want to be blessed. Well, give. And he says, he who sows generously reaps generously. I want a reaping of fullness, but but no generosity. And what the Bible is saying, no, the more we realize he's given us everything and will continue to give us everything, we become more and more generous. And the more generous we become, the more he fills us. And the more he fills us, the more we overflow into the streets and the world around us is different because a full church is overflowing and God just keeps pouring more and more in, which was what was so awesome about this last week, seeing the church start to rise up. And I think the church here, beginning to believe God is our portion, God is our supplier, he's been generous to us, we must be generous to the world around us so they can get a sense of a God whose love knows no bounds, knows no limits, and you all went crazy with generosity. Can I just give you a warning? You all provoked God's generosity. You get generous, God is like, I take that personally, now it's on. (laughs) You be generous to me, watch this, I will never be outgiven. And I'm telling you, I hope you can handle it. If you can't, stop being generous. But as we give, he pours into us. And as we see his work moving forward, we become the full blessed recipients of generosity. And if you don't believe me, just check out this video and tell me who seems to be the happiest people in these videos. And I give you a hint. It's the people who are giving, the people who are being generous. But check this out. This is so, so cool. Hey, big day for us. We're about to hit up the town of Warsaw and we are spreading the love. In fact, this is officially the love bus, but we're late. We've got to go try and keep up. It's time. It's on. Let's go. Organizations like this giving to us in this big way um, just really meets a huge need in our community that we serve together, Mission Point and Heartline. what brought me to this industry was being able to make an impact in somebody else's life. 
um, and to have other people in the community embrace those people so often they get forgotten. Um, and so for people to actually come out um, and enjoy our residents and just talking with them um, and remembering um, that they used to be somebody and they still are somebody um, and giving them the best quality of life is just wonderful. huge and it's great. Um, there's a lot of churches in our community and um, I don't know, in the, this is probably the first time, I guess, since I've been here that we've really had this partnership, um, I guess so visibly, and it's really just a great thing to have that support for us and for our families. It's just cool to see how the the relationship is stuck and over the years and you know for the projects that have just happened you know the painting that's happened and the, the mingling with the volunteers and our residents and that's why what we want you know with that kind of fellowship and now to you know the the gift that was uh, you know just a surprise is huge um, to be able to help in, in so many ways keep the lights on um, you know for for well, 47 people last night, for them, and eight of those being children, um, to for them to have a place to stay, you know. So the partnership's just been awesome. It's amazing. Um, this is something we've, we've really wanted and have strived for, um, to have a partnership that will help us get out in the community, get recognized more, make more people aware of us and the needs that we have and the work that we do. Um, it, we couldn't ask for a better organization to help us do that. You guys have really stepped up and um, you, you reached out to us and we really thank you for that. I would say thank you and that you have made a difference in CASA and it's been so encouraging um, for me. Um, even I'm a believer as well, and just to know that there's other Christians out there that are excited about helping children. Thank you so much for coming out and just caring and loving on our residents. You guys have done so much, not just through this event, but throughout the whole year you've come in um, and just loved on our residents, and they love it. Well, thank you. <laughs> I can't say thank you enough. Um, there's not a big enough word to replace thank you for what you guys have done for our organization, for our finances, and for uh, the people who live in our area that we serve together. Thank you so much. This is just such an amazing opportunity that I don't, I think is unprecedented around the state. So we're so lucky to have um, your partnership with Mission Point. I can't express enough how you guys being the hands and feet of Christ to the ministry here, you know, through just the, the projects and, and the monetary gifts, but the, you know, the interaction with the relate or with the residents, um, just, I, I, we can't thank you enough. Um, it's awesome to see what you guys are doing in the community. So thank you very much.
awesome is that? Oh, wow. I mean, it's, it's a real thing that as God fills his church, his church overflows into the streets with his love and makes a profound difference in the lives of real people in our county. And this week has been such a beautiful um, testament to that. And you know what? Thank you for letting us represent you. It is so awesome. And to think that lives will be impacted because of this. And tell us some of that, Matt. I mean, what uh, does the generosity of this church mean to the county? Sure. Yeah. Now, you all saw some of the big checks. And uh, just to give you a little bit of, uh, to fill you in on what some of that's going for, uh, $1,000 is going to Mason Health and Rehab to help them finish and maintain the garden that uh, we went and created for them during one of the Love Blitz events. Uh, $5,000 has gone to CASA, and what they've determined is it costs $1,000 per child each case that enters in to the system. Um, if you were here last weekend, you heard that we were able to give that gift at their fundraiser hmm. where they use it as a matching thing, yep. and it took $5,000, turned it into $20,000, uh, which is unbelievable awesome. uh, to help pay for um, 20 children to come through hmm. the CASA care. Uh, $5,000 to, to DCS, and what we're doing there is we're partnering with a local attorney uh, to pay for guardianship cases for about 10 to 12 kids, um, which is about the average caseload for a year. So we are going to try to just knock out the guardianship issues for 2016 awesome. uh, as far as DCS is concerned. Uh, $5,500 to Fellowship Mission, um, as well as all of the, the money that we spent to, uh, to paint their building. Uh, but that money is going to go to pay for one month of utilities for them. Uh, which is so great. Yeah. As you heard Eric say, they have 47 people, eight children in the building right now, um, and, and they're going to keep growing. So to help offset some of their expenses is just a huge encouragement to them. And then $6,500 to Heartline Pregnancy Center to help them buy new curriculum mm -hmm. for parents who are saying, hey, I want to do a good job in raising my child. I just need some training. And so we get to do that. And then finally, the, the remaining balance, we're investing uh, here into a foster care closet with some supplies and then some foster and adoptive type funds for our folks here. So, Man, that's exciting. That's yeah. exciting. Great job. Thank you. Um. And again, Paul's dream is that the church would be full and experience fullness. And uh, the Bible hints at the fact that uh, it's more blessed to give than to receive, that there's fullness in actually emptying ourselves in generosity. Is that true? Has that proven true? Because I've seen it. It seems like yeah. we've found ourselves fuller the more generous we've been as a church. Yeah, no, it's been, it's been crazy. I, I think the... You know, to go around to some of the different events and to see people and families serve and then go to, you know, the next event a few days later and to see some of the same people and families serving. And it's like, wait, what are you doing here? You, you were signed up for the last one. They're like, oh, we had to crash this one. That was so fun. Like, we just had to keep going. So we're turning people, you know, from wedding crashers into serving crashers, just... which is absolutely crazy and, and great. Um, but another example, you and I saw this as we were wrapping up the supermarket sweep. Um, we were getting close to breaking that $26,000 threshold as we were looking at the totals, and it was starting to wrap up. And some of the volunteers behind us start pulling out their wallets and counting cash like, 
do we have enough on us to, to push this thing over the edge? Yep. And so just unbelievable to see people in the trenches of serving just saying, I want to do more. I want to give more. Give me more opportunities. This is just too good. So it's an addiction that we yes. are getting pretty excited about. That is sure. amazing. God's been generous with us. It overflows in generosity. And then as we all flow in generosity, God says, Mm-mm, I'm going to keep pouring generously into you so you stay supplied. If you've been generous, I'm just saying watch out. And you can come back in a year and say to us, uh, yeah, it's true. We've found so much joy and so much fulfillment in being generous and in serving. But listen, I love what the verse says. God is able to do immeasurably, abundantly, above everything we can ask or imagine. Which means, church, we are just getting started. Mm-hmm. If we can measure what's being done, we're not there yet because we are serving a God of immeasurable impact. And so it could be tempting for us to feel like, oh my goodness, we've done so much, which we have, and we want to praise the Lord and enjoy this, but realize he's going to just keep pouring as we move to him, as we trust him, and we want to continue to pour out and see our county impacted. And so, Lord, I praise you for inviting us to yourself. Thank you for loving us. And Lord, help us to believe that more and more and more and more and then move towards you more and more and more and find fullness more and more and more and be poured out more and more and more and more and see our county more and more changed for the sake of your name. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen.